This is day 56 of our daily Bible reading. We will be completing 2 Samuel chapters 9 through 13. Lord Heavenly Father, as we enter into your presence this day, that you would just humble our hearts, Lord, and you would soften our spirits and open our ears to be receptive to your word, and Lord, that we can see this just jump off the pages at us. And that we can apply these things to our lives, knowing that all things were written for our instruction. Lord, please instruct us today as we enter into your word. Thank you for this time. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Then David said, Is there yet anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul, whose name was Ziba. And they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. The king said, Is there not yet any one of the house of Saul, to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan, who is crippled in both feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to him, Behold, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and prostrated himself. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he said, Here is your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show kindness to you for the sake of your father Jonathan, and will restore to you all the land of, the, of your grandfather Saul, and you shall eat at my table regularly. Again he prostrated himself and said, What is your servant? that you should regard a dead dog like me. Then the king called Saul's servant, Ziba, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and to all his house I have given to your master's grandson. You and your sons and your servants shall cultivate the land for him, and you shall bring in the produce so that your master's grandson may have food. Nevertheless, Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, shall eat at my table regularly. Now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Ziba said to the king, According to all that the Lord the king commands his servant to do, your servant will do. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table as one of the king's sons. And Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. And all who lived in the house of Ziba were servants to Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem, for he ate at the king's table regularly. Now he was lame in both feet. Now it happened afterwards that the king of the Ammonites died, and Hanun, his son, became king in his place. Then David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, just as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent some of his servants to console him concerning his father. But when David's servants came to the land of the Ammonites, the princes of the Ammonites said to Hanun their lord, Do you think that David is honoring your father because he has sent consolers to you? Has David not sent his servants to you in order to search the city, to spy it out, and overthrow it? So Hanun took David's servants and shaved off their half of their beards, and cut off their garments in the middle as far as their hips, and sent them their way. When they told it to David, he sent to meet them, for the men were greatly humiliated. And the king said, Stay at Jericho until your beards grow, 
and then return. Now when the sons of Ammon saw that they had become odious to David, the sons of Ammon sent and hired the Aramaeans of Bethrahab and the Aramaeans of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers. And the king of Maacah with 1,000 men, and the men of Tob with 12,000 men. When David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army, the mighty men. The sons of Ammon came out and drew up in battle array at the entrance of the city, while the Aramaeans of Zobah and of Rahab and the men of Tob and Maacah were by themselves in the field. Now when Joab saw that the battle was set against him in front and in the rear, he selected from all the choice men of Israel and arrayed them against the Aramaeans. But the remainder of the people he placed in the hand of Abishai, his brother, and he arrayed them against the sons of Ammon. He said, If the Aramaeans are too strong for me, then you shall help me. But if the sons of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come to help you. Be strong, and let us show ourselves courageous for the sake of our people and for the cities of our God. And may the Lord do what is good in his sight. So Joab and the people who were with him drew near to the battle against the Aramaeans, and they fled before him. When the sons of Ammon saw that the Aramaeans fled, they also fled before Abishai and entered the city. Then Joab returned from fighting against the sons of Ammon and came to Jerusalem. When the Aramaeans saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered themselves together. And Hadadezer sent and brought out the Aramaeans who were beyond the river, and they came to Helam. And Shobach, the commander of the army of Hadadezer, led them. Now when it was told David, he gathered all Israel together and crossed the Jordan and came to Helam. And the Aramaeans arrayed themselves to meet David and fought against him. But the Aramaeans fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers of the Aramaeans and 40,000 horsemen and struck down Shobach, the commander of their army, and he died there. When all the kings, servants of Hadadezer, saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Aramaeans feared to help the sons of Ammon any more. Then it happened in the spring, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the sons of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. Now when evening came, David arose from his bed and walked around on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful in appearance. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? David sent messengers and took her. And when she came to him, he lay with her. And when she had purified herself from her uncleanness, she returned to her house. The woman conceived. And she sent and told David, and said, I am pregnant. Then David sent to Joab, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. So Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked concerning the welfare of Joab and the people and the state of the war. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. And Uriah went out of the king's house, and a present from the king was sent out after him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, 
and did not go down to his house. Now when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and to drink and to lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. Then David said to Uriah, Stay here today also, and tomorrow I will let you go. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. Now David called him, and he ate and drank with him, and he made him drunk. And in the evening he went out to lie on his bed with his lord's servants, but he did not go down to his house. Now in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab, and sent it by the hand of Uriah. He had written in the letter, saying, Place Uriah in the front line of the fiercest battle, and withdraw from him, so that he may be struck down and die. So it was, as Joab kept watch on the city, that he put Uriah at the place where he knew there were valiant men. The men of the city went out and fought against Joab, and some of the people among David's servants fell, and Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and reported to David all the events of the war. He charged the messenger, saying, When you have finished telling all the events of the war to the king, and if it happens that the king's wrath rises, and he says to you, Why did you go so near to the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck down Abimelech, the son of Jerubasheth? Did not a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say, Your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So the messenger departed and came and reported to David all that Joab had sent him to tell. The messenger said to David, The men prevailed against us and came out against us in the field, but we pressed them as far as the entrance of the gate. Moreover, the archers shot at your servants from the wall, so some of the king's servants are dead, and your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. Then David said to the messenger, Thus you shall say to Joab, Do not let this thing displease you, for the sword devours one as well as another. Make your battle against the city stronger and overthrow it. And so encourage him. Now when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah her husband was dead, she mourned for her husband. When the time of mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife. Then she bore him a son. But the thing that David had done was evil in the sight of the Lord. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a great many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, which he bought and nourished, and it grew up together with him and his children. It would eat of his bread and drink of his cup and lie in his bosom, and was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take from his own flock or his own herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. Rather, he took the poor man's ewe lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger burned greatly against the man, and he said to Nathan, 
As the Lord lives, surely the man who has done this deserves to die. He must make restitution for the lamb fourfold, because he did this thing and had no compassion. Nathan then said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God of Israel, It is I who anointed you king over Israel, and it is I who delivered you from the hand of Saul. I also gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your care, and I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added to you many more things like these. Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house, because you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your own household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion, and he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. Indeed, you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and under the sun. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, The Lord also has taken away your sin. You shall not die. However, because by this deed you have given occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, the child also that is born to you shall surely die. So Nathan went to his house. Then the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David, so that he was very sick. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day, that the child died. And the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. So David rose from the ground, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes, and came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing that you have done? While the child was alive, you fasted and wept. But when the child died, you arose and ate food. He said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. But now he has died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? I will go to him, but he will not return to me. And David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her. And she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet, and he named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Now Joab fought against Rabrabah and the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, 
I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. Now therefore, gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it. Or I will capture the city myself, and it will be named after me. So David gathered all the people and went to Rabbah, fought against it, and captured it. Then he took the crown of their king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out the spoil of the city in great amounts. He also brought out the people who were in it, and set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, and iron axes, and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now it was after this that Absalom the son of David had a beautiful sister whose name was Tamar. And Amnon, the son of David, loved her. Amnon was so frustrated because of his sister Tamar that he made himself ill, for she was a virgin. And it seemed hard to Amnon to do anything to her. But Amnon had a friend whose name was Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother. And Jonadab was a very shrewd man. He said to him, O son of the king, why are you so depressed morning after morning? Will you not tell me? Then Amnon said to him, I am in love with Tamar, the sister of my brother Absalom. Jonadab then said to him, Lie down on your bed and pretend to be ill. When your father comes to see you, say to him, Please let my sister Tamar come and give me some food to eat, and let her prepare the food in my sight, that I may see it and eat from her hand. So Amnon lay down and pretended to be ill. When the king came to see him, Amnon said to the king, Please let my sister come and make me a couple of cakes in my sight, that I may eat from her hand. Then David sent to the house for Tamar, saying, Go now to your brother Amnon's house and prepare food for him. So Tamar went to her brother Amnon's house, and he was lying down. And she took dough, kneaded it, made cakes in his sight, and baked the cakes. She took the pan and dished them out before him, but he refused to eat. And Amnon said, Have everyone go out from me. So everyone went out from him. Then Amnon said to Tamar, Bring the food into the bedroom, that I may eat from your hand. So Tamar took the cakes which she had made and brought them into the bedroom to her brother Amnon. When she brought them to him to eat, he took hold of her and said to her, Come, lie with me, my sister. But she answered him, No, my brother, do not violate me, for such a thing is not done in Israel. Do not do this disgraceful thing. As for me, where could I get rid of your reproach? And as for you, you will be like one of the fools in Israel. Now therefore, please speak to the king, for he will not withhold me from you. However, he would not listen to her. Since he was stronger than she, he violated her and lay with her. And Amnon hated her with a very great hatred, for the hatred with which he hated her was greater than the love with which he had loved her. And Amnon said to her, Get up, go away. But she said to him, No, because this wrong in sending me away is greater than the other that you have done to me. Yet he would not listen to her. Then he called his young man, who attended him, and said, Now throw this woman out of my presence, and lock the door behind her. Now she had on a long-sleeved garment, for in this manner the virgin daughters of the king dressed themselves in robes. 
Then his attendants took her out and locked the door behind her. Tamar put ashes on her head and tore her long-sleeved garment which was on her. And she put her hand on her head and went away, crying aloud as she went. Then Absalom, her brother, said to her, Has Amnon, your brother, been with you? But now keep silent, my sister. He is your brother. Do not take this matter to heart. So Tamar remained and was desolate in her brother Absalom's house. Now when King David heard of all these matters, he was very angry. But Absalom did not speak to Amnon, either good or bad. For Absalom hated Amnon, because he had violated his sister Tamar. Now it came about after two full years that Absalom had sheep shearers in Baal Hazor, which is near Ephraim, and Absalom invited all the king's sons. Absalom came to the king and said, Behold now, your servant has sheep shearers. Please let the king and his servants go with your servant. But the king said to Absalom, No, my son, we should not all go, for we will be burdensome to you. Although he urged him, he would not go, but blessed him. Then Absalom said, If not, please let my brother Amnon go with us. And the king said to him, Why should he go with you? But when Absalom urged him, he let Amnon and all the king's sons go with him. Absalom commanded his servants, saying, See now, when Amnon's heart is merry with wine, and when I say to you, Strike Amnon, then put him to death. Do not fear. Have I myself not commanded you? Be courageous and be valiant. The servants of Absalom did to Amnon just as Absalom had commanded. Then all the king's sons arose and each mounted his mule and fled. Now it was while they were on the way that the report came to David, saying, Absalom has struck down all the king's sons, and not one of them is left. Then the king arose, tore his clothes, and lay on the ground, and all his servants were standing by with clothes torn. Jonadab, the son of Shimea, David's brother, responded, Do not let my lord suppose they have put to death all the young men, the king's sons, for Amnon alone is dead, because by the intent of Absalom this has been determined since the day that he violated his sister Tamar. Now therefore do not let my lord the king take the report to heart, namely, all the king's sons are dead, for only Amnon is dead. Now Absalom had fled, and the young man who was the watchman raised his eyes and looked, and behold, many people were coming from the road behind him by the side of the mountain. Jonadab said to the king, Behold, the king's sons have come, according to your servant's word, so it happened. As soon as he had finished speaking, behold, the king's sons came and lifted their voices and wept. And also the king and all his servants wept very bitterly. Now Absalom fled and went to Talmai, the son of Amihud, the king of Geshur. And David mourned for his son every day. So Absalom had fled and gone to Geshur and was there three years. The heart of King David longed to go out to Absalom, for he was comforted concerning Amnon, since he was dead. Today was certainly an action-packed reading, was it not? There's a lot going on today that we need to talk about. So let's start with the very first thing. We first see what David did here in chapter 9 with Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, who was lame in both of his legs. What's very important about this is that David is 
a promise keeper. He made a covenant with Jonathan years ago, and he is honoring the covenant that he made. Are we that kind of people? Are we people who keep our word, even if that person's dead? Because in the sight of God, he knows if we're being honest, and he knows if we are keeping our promises. And he did nothing but kindness to this man. Gave him all of Saul's territory, gave him all his servants, and treated him like a son. How loving is that? And you can see that his love for Jonathan was displayed to his son Mephibosheth. And this was beautiful to see. So certainly we should be the same way. We should be comforting those who need to be comforted, especially someone like him who, because of his disability, was treated as worthless. But the king gave him value. Doesn't the Lord do that with us? We are nothing. We really are. I mean, we were made from the dust of the earth, and we. some people are born in for dishonorable use. Some people are born for honorable use, as the Bible says. But yet the Lord gives us value, and he gives us a purpose. How awesome is that? The king of the universe stoops down to our level to give us a purpose. We should be honored greatly by that. And now chapter 10 is kind of weird because David's intention was completely good. He had remembered, you know, someone from his past that would did him some kindness. And so he intended to repay the favor, but they took it as an, oh, you know, they're trying to get us while we're weak. You know, we lost our king, and so they're trying to scout out our land and pillage us. So let's just go fight them. And, David's, and I can imagine David's like, what? That is not what I was trying to do. And But yet they went in battle array, began to go out to Israel and hired some mercenaries to come and fight. And they ended up all losing. And then we need to talk about chapter 11. So this is a very hotly debated thing, even in today's world. For some reason, because of all the woke agenda right now and the attack on patriarchal law and tradition and really God's standards, the name of Bathsheba has resurfaced in recent history because of what happened here at this time. So we really need to break down what happened here. So let me be very clear. This was terrible, what David did. But let me be also very clear. The Bible tells you if it's rape, and the Bible tells you if it is consensual. Okay? So, because if you looked a little, a couple of chapters later, when you see Amnon with Tamar, Tamar was forced. It says that he violated her and laid with her. It does not say that Bathsheba was violated when he lay with her. She came to him. She was summoned, yes, but she came to him. Besides, people talked back then. Let me, let me just put it like this. People talked back then. So when David arose from his bed, he was in his house. He stayed in Jerusalem when he should have been out on the battlefield. So the very first thing he was doing wrong was he wasn't doing his job. He was staying back and having another low point in his life. He did not want to be part of the battlefield, so he stayed back and let everyone else do the work. And what is he doing at evening? He's walking around on the roof of his house. And when he's on the roof of his house, he sees a woman bathing. Now, if you, it's hard to imagine because the structures are very different from how they are in today's world, but... You can imagine like this palace or the house that David lived in was on like a hill, right? And you see a woman bathing on her roof. Granted, you know, they have 
a lot of homes in this time period um, had an enclosed courtyard, usually on the roof or near the roof of their house. And so she was bathing herself, probably by lamplight. However, the courtyard could be seen from the roof, and she knew it. And for all we know, it doesn't really say what her intentions are, but for all we know, she wanted to be seen by David. I mean, she knew she lived next to his house, and this was the king. So think about celebrities, right? People are always keeping up with celebrities, where they are, what they're doing. If King David is at battle, people know. The citizens of the city know if he's at battle or not. And in this case, they knew he was home. And she willingly did this. David is wrong in what he did. Let me be clear about that. He is completely wrong in what he did, this act of adultery. He already had a bazillion wives already. You know what I'm saying? He already had plenty of women in his life that could have satisfied him, but yet lust took over him, and he did something terrible. But it says that she came to him and he laid with her, and there was no violation. So this was consensual. She is not raped here, because they like to use this story as, oh, you know, the big, bad man-king is just you throwing his power around, getting what he wants, and, you know, typical man, right? He just demands things, and he gets it to fuel a more feminist view of things. But that's not what happened here. Yes, he did wrong, and he did abuse his power. But it, he's not alone in this sin. And they both got punished in some way. So what did, what's a man to do? He, he did something promiscuous, and, and this woman told him that she was pregnant. So what's the best thing to do? Let's try to get this man home so that he can sleep with his wife, and then we could just say it was his child, right? Let me also throw something in here, another element for you to consider. When Uriah got home, the way that he acted, I firmly believe that he knew. I firmly believe that he knew what happened. Think about in today's world. It's really hard for things to stay secret. It's really hard. People talk. And word spreads very fast, even in this day, because people are talking all the time. And it would have been probably well known that Bathsheba had been with David. And so Uriah was angry, but he also did not want to be disrespectful to his king. And so I think that that's why he did that. Not only to be in all sincerity, he, he was like, hey, I've got my brothers out in the battlefield. And I can't just be living in comfort while they're out there fighting. So no, I'm not going to do that. But also, he did it to shame the king. You know, he said to his face, you know, that he was not going to do it. He said, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in temporary shelters, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? By your life and the life of your soul, I will not do this thing. He is very subtly cursing the king, letting him know, hey, I know what you did. Now, I don't think he knew that the letter that he brought to Joab was going to be his death sentence. I mean, there's no sign of that in the scripture. So David had Uriah murdered in cold blood for this really dark, twisted plot, all because he slept with his wife. And we're going to see later that this haunts David for the rest of his life. But God is faithful, and God is gracious. Bathsheba is going to be a pivotal person in David's life in the very near future. We can't write her off yet. 
Not only that, but she's going to have another child soon. And his name is Solomon. And he is going to be the next king. He just doesn't know it yet. David doesn't know it yet. Because he's got older sons to consider first. But you're going to see something that happens here where David has essentially been cursed. He and his whole family because of this one decision. Because you see in chapter 12, the Lord sent the prophet Nathan to his house. And he tells him a story. He gives him a parable about this man who had a lamb who he raised like a daughter. Someone just came and just took it from him and used it for his purposes and just discarded it like it was nothing. And David was angry. He's like, that man deserves to die and he shall make restitution. He did that with no compassion. And Nathan's like, David, you don't get it. This story is about you, sir. You are the man. You took Bathsheba. You took Uriah's wife, the one ewe lamb that he had, and you just made sport with it without compassion. And you essentially just announced a curse on yourself. You said that you should die and that you should make restitution. So here's what's going to happen, David. You struck down Uriah, and you did this despicable thing. So two things are going to happen to you. For one, the sword shall never depart from your house, meaning that there is going to be internal conflict in your house. Someone in your house is going to die or be involved in an act of betrayal and evil. We did see who that is, in chapter 13, we see this in Absalom. But secondly, that baby that Bathsheba has in her belly is going to die. And this is a very sad story for this part because I don't know what happened to me when I became a father for the first time, but I've never really liked kids, to be honest. I grew up not liking kids, not liking babies. I thought they were annoying I thought they were, you know, difficult, and I had no compassion for them. But the day I became a father, God immediately changed my heart. And I've had a very soft spot for babies and for children ever since then. When I hear these kinds of stories, I get really sad. I get really down, thinking that that's not fair. David was the one who did this. Why should this young little baby have to suffer and die because of what David did? That's just not fair. Or at least it looks like that at a glance. But again, God knows exactly what he's doing. God is sovereign over this situation. This baby was created to be killed or to be allowed to die within a week or two of living. This was prescribed from the very beginning. But God does not lack compassion. Look at what David did. While the, the boy lived, he fasted and he prayed and he gave every possible thing he could do to see if God was going to have mercy on him and spare this child. He said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me and the child might live. So he fasted and he was just meditating on the word of God. But God was faithful on his side as well. And he allowed the child to die. And that's why it was so weird to his servants that after the child was dead, that he got up and cleaned himself off. He washed himself and, and then he went to eat. And they're like, what? The kid was alive and you weren't and you weren't like this. But now that he's dead, now you're acting like everything's okay. But it's, that's not the point. What David is saying is, I'm at peace with what God did. I accept what God has done. I hoped that perhaps he might spare the child, but God has fulfilled what he said he was going to do. But here's a very beautiful thing. I can't bring him back, he says, but I will go to him. 
And this is where one of the places in the Bible where we get the concept of those who are too young to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ automatically get to go to heaven. That should be the most comforting thing of all, isn't it? Imagine this. No soul perishes once it is created. From the moment that God creates a soul, a spirit of a human being, that spirit is eternal. Now, it may spend eternity in hell or it may spend eternity in heaven, but the soul will never cease to be. And from the moment of conception, we have to believe that the sanctity of life states, and what the Bible says is that from the moment that we are conceived, we are a human being, and we have a spirit. This should be the most comforting thing of all, that despite all the evil that's in the world today, when it comes to abortion and child sacrifice and child molestation and sexual abuse and all this terrible stuff, where people are cut off at a very young age or don't even get a chance to live outside of the womb, that God is faithful to these people. He has compassion on them by allowing them to live forever in his kingdom. David understood that when he died, he would see this child again in heaven. This is where we get the concept that God sends children who are under the age of accountability to heaven straight away. How awesome is that? Praise be to God that he does this thing, despite the evil that we do. That gives me the most comfort of all. And then you see this story in chapter 13 about Absalom, the third son of David, who had a beautiful sister named Tamar, and Amnon is the oldest son of David. And apparently Amnon loved her, but it wasn't a wholesome love. We see that after he violated her, that he hated her afterwards. It was lust. He was lusting after her. And this was an act of incest. Now, to be clear, they're half-siblings. Same dad, different mother. But it's still incest. You know, that doesn't just because you have a half-brother or sister doesn't mean they're eligible for, <laughs> for marriage, okay? And so he makes this elaborate scheme to get her to come in so that he can find an opportunity to pin her down and rape her. And he ends up doing so. And she tries to convince him to not do it. Don't violate me. This should not be done. Now, after he did the deed, you know, she was showing him that what you did was wrong, absolutely wrong. But if you send me away because you hate me, that is greater. That is more shameful. Why? Because if we follow the law of Moses, if you violate somebody or you have sex with a woman, you're obliged by the law of Moses to marry this person. And if you send her away, then you're disgracing her. And so her actions when she walks away are similar to that of a widow mourning for her husband. She was violated, she was no longer pure, and she was just discarded because she was treated as nothing. So absolutely, Amnon did great evil to her. And Absalom did far worse because he plotted his murder. And it took two years of planning to get this, but he ended up doing so. And not only that, but he convinced all his servants to be the ones to do the deed. But then, somehow, some report came back to David that all the kids had, all his kids had been killed. And he was freaking out. And he was so depressed. But then his relative was like, no, there's no way. There's no way this happened. Look, only I've only heard that Amnon died. And so it ended up being that way, that Amnon was the only one that died. And... David did not like it. He was very upset about it, but he accepted his death. But you can see how much he loves his kids. That even though, even though Amnon died, and he let that be at peace because he knows his death is definitive in this way, 
but he misses and becomes anxious for Absalom. He loves Absalom. He loves his kids very much. What a good father that is. Even though he has tons of wives and probably has tons of kids that we don't even know about on here, not mentioned. He loves his kids. And he loves Absalom, despite what he does. And really, what David did here, he should have handled it. His big mistake, and you're going to see he's going to do this repeated times, is he should have taken action the first time. When Amnon did what he did to Tamar, he should have disciplined him, or he should have had him executed, which is actually in the book of Leviticus. It's in the law that if a man does that, he should be killed by the law of Moses. So Amnon should have been killed by the righteous hand of David, but David did not do it. And you're going to see that David gets soft on his own kids, and he does not fulfill the word of God in this. That he, he is extra merciful, extra gracious to his kids, which is a good thing, yes, but at the same time, he does not handle the situation. He lets a lot of things go with Absalom that are going to cause so many headaches for him as well as other people are going to be affected by this. When you're a leader, especially a king, every decision you make affects the people around you. And bad decisions will hurt people. That's a big responsibility. So that's why if you're a leader, don't take your job lightly. Being a leader is a huge responsibility. And the actions or inactions that you perform will affect the people around you. And I say this being a leader myself. And I know that sometimes I can be soft on people. Get be extra gracious to them and but it does hurt people around us. Let David be an object lesson that you can't just do whatever you want. But not only that, that we should hold people accountable, but yet love them anyway. But that's all I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.